We all possess certain skills. Some people can play a violin. Some people can dribble a basketball between their legs. And maybe we have a skill as an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. Back in 19, early 70s, I had been working for another box company. And then the gentleman that owned that company, he started a brokerage company and he asked me to join him, which I did. And then one of our suppliers was this little sheet plant called Central Container Corporation. It was three individuals that started it. November of 74, when the AICC had their first meeting in St. Louis, I ran into the one partner. I says, Jack, how are you doing? He says, I'm going to retire. I said, I'd like to buy half your business. He says, really? Nah, he says, I got to sell it to that brother-in-law of mine and that sales manager. And I said, okay, if something happens, let me know. Within a month, right around Christmas, he called me and says, I've been thinking about this. My retirement is based on this company succeeding. And he says, you can do it, and they can't. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. Today, we're really excited. We have Mike and Jim Haglin from Central Package and Display up in Minnesota joining us. And although I've never talked to you gentlemen in person before, listening about you from my good friend Gene Marino over the years, it's a real pleasure to have you guys on the show and here, anxious to hear about your history. I know there's a lot to dig into there, your perspective on leadership and bringing the your company into the to the new age, quote unquote, and let's kick off, Gene. I know these guys are real close to you personally. So yeah, I've known both these gentlemen a long time and have a great deal of respect for both of them. This is an industry full of some really phenomenal people, but Jim and Mike, their families, their children, their grandchildren are just phenomenal human beings. You, you couldn't ask for a greater family. What's very special to me, I got into the industry in '98. I've known M- Mike and Jim since. And just there, people see, Joe uses this line a lot, people see the, the buttoned up, the suited Jim Haglin at AICC meetings. They see Mike and his family. They don't realize the origins of starting your business. I think some of those that, that have been around long enough with your Hall of Fame presentation, which was fantastic, really maybe get a, a better handle of what it took to, to get where you are today. But I think just spending time today to hear about your history your business philosophy, how you grew, the challenges that you faced. I think then Mike's coming into the business and really what he does so well in, in his style, his demeanor, his personality is just really a, an interesting story and probably not interesting to you too because you live it. But I think for our listeners, really understanding and looking under the hood or maybe behind the curtain and how you've been successful and the tenants you live by and try to operate by each of you, I, I think is a great little story. This podcast is brought to you by Oxbox. You know, when you think about focusing on something that's core to your business and just being really, really good at one thing, Oxbox comes to mind. They focus on one thing and one thing only. Their business strategy is strength you can depend on, focusing on jumbo, large format, and heavy-duty boxes. And that is how they provide best-in-class heavy-duty packaging with outstanding service. Now you can get the same Oxbox strength with weatherproof durability. Their new Echo Board boxes are incredibly strong and yet earth-friendly. Check them out at www. 
www.oxbox.com. Mike, why don't you give us like a five minute on central package and display who you guys are, who you serve as a present business today. And then we'll go back in time and talk to Jim about the origins and the history. Central package and display today is, as we call high-end manufacturing, protective packaging, where people are shipping their heavy-duty products and they need to get there. We do a lot of, we do crating, wood, polluted plastic, and we're still doing some displays. We're serving a lot of the medical. Great. Jim, take us in the Wayback Machine. How'd you get in the box business? Okay. Good question. Back in 19, early 70s, I had been working for another box company, St. Regis, believe it or not. And then they were sold. And then the gentleman that owned that company, he started a brokerage company and he asked me to join him, which I did. And then one of our suppliers was this little sheet plant called Central Container Corporation. It was three individuals that had started it. And then they'd moved down to South Minneapolis there. So they ran some of my boxes, so I knew the box business from my previous employer. November of 74, when the AICC had their first meeting in St. Louis, I ran into the one partner, it was a 50% ownership then, two brother-in-laws, and they didn't really get along too well. One of them was like 15 years older than the other, and one was an old seaman, could fix anything, and the other one was a accounting major, so... They had the skills to have a nice backing company. So right around Thanksgiving, so the older one, I says, Jack, how are you doing? He says, I'm going to retire. I said, I'd like to buy half your business. He says, really? Nah, he says, I got to sell it to that brother-in-law of mine and that sales manager. And I said, okay, if something happens, let me know. Within a month, right around Christmas, he called me and says, I've been thinking about this. My retirement is based on this company succeeding. And he says, you can do it and they can't. Mm. So he says, I would sell you my half. How old are you at this point in time where you decide, I'm just gonna buy half of your business? I was 37. Yeah. And did you know much about the back, back, you know, the books or anything about the business? Did you just have this idea? Nothing. 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 What made you think that was a good idea at the time? Okay. I was a salesman for about 15 years, selling a lot of corrugated products. And I called on a lot of independent companies. And I'd look at them, and I'd look at their facilities. When you walk in, it was not very well kept, and the equipment wasn't up to date. And I think, geez, if they can succeed, just think if you change and improved on all of this. And that was my only inspiration. I said, maybe I can do better. We all possess certain skills. Some people can play a violin. Some people can dribble a basketball between their legs. And maybe we have a skill as an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. I've never seen a skill list for them. (laughs) You know, what's interesting to me, Jim, is the dynamic of you're selling for 15 years. You probably have a pretty big customer base, right? You're married. You've got a family, and to Joe's point, you know nothing about behind the scenes, but you're not worried about balancing any of that. You're going to figure it out if the offer gets accepted, which it does. When I said, what do you want? He says, book value. I was smart enough to realize that book value is a pretty good deal. So I said, yeah. what's book value? He says, 238000 Well, with my quick mathematical mind, I divided that by two, and I, came up, with, <laughs> I came up with... 
Oh, that's 119,000 for me. How do you want it? He says 25,000 down, the balance over 12 years at 7% interest. I says, okay. Now remember, that was November of 74, the same year for our AICC. But I had, the problem is I didn't have 25 grand. <laughs> so I sold our house, moved to a smaller location. It was only a two bedroom place. And our youngest daughter then was born in March of 75 when she slept in the walk-in closet for the first year. I, had to, I got 15,000 from the home, but then I needed another 10,000. And then I worked two to three nights at a nightclub as a maitre d' and a bouncer. So if any of you guys are at a party and we ever get drunk, look out. I know how to handle drunks. That's good for this association. Yeah, that, yeah. that fits in well. Does Kathy think you're out of your flipping mind at this point, or she's fully on board? Never question anything that I've done. That's unreal. Did you question yourself in those no. first six, seven months? No, but that's not the worst of it. I went into somewhat of a hotbed. Remember, the two gentlemen that thought they were going to end up with the company now don't have it, and I, they did make me president, though. So mm. maybe they saw something, but here I'm, I go into this, I wouldn't say hostile, environment, but it wasn't really a friendly environment. And I understand that. If I had been promised that I could have bought the company and then the rug is pulled out, I'd be a little upset too. Sure. How old were your kids then? Michael was 10 and Kristen, she was only two. And then our daughter was born, Dawn, the youngest one the following March. And That's unbelievable. M Mike, real quick before we move past all this, what do you remember about that time? Okay. What I remember back then, I was 10 years old. I'd go in in the office on Saturdays with my dad, and one of my jobs was mowing the front lawn. <laughs> and it was right on Hiawatha, it was a busy road. I mean, there's long and narrow cars coming within two, three feet of you. And my dad, yeah. It was very interesting, I got paid $5, and then we'd stop and get the mail every Saturday. And my job was to open the mail and just keep it in the envelope, and then he would open it, sort it, put it with checks, and put it with invoices, and I'd deliver them to people's desks. So, it was pretty cool. That's neat, that's neat. So you probably knew no different, no, no differently, no. right? You're just, you guys moved houses, and, yeah. and now there's different things going on. You're 10, right? You don't, we have a very limited perspective, I think, at that point in our lives. So, Jim, as you come into this thing, you're, you're trying to figure your way out with these two new partners. There's some dynamics there going on. They make you president. When, when do you, does the game start to change and are these guys retiring? Are you pushing them to do something more, do something differently? How does the business begin to unfold under your leadership early on? One reason why they had really not much choice but they really come on board because within a year and a half they were making twice as much money as they were when <laughs> I came in. So that was a pretty good incentive. And they were very nice people, but I just understand the disappointment as I said previously but helped grow the company, but it was always there. But then I had a buy-sell with the senior partner, but something happened to him that I could buy him out at 110% of book. And he passed away, and I was able to buy his share out, but because they let me into the business, I gave his family three times book value, and that wasn't nice. even in the contract. Yeah. Because they let me in, and I didn't have to replace them. So I could take what I was paying him and pay his family and, and feel good about it. And then the sales manager liked to golf a lot. 
and he didn't like to work a hard, so he was able to retire, and I gave him extra, and that's how I got 100% of it, and then I bought the building. How long did that transpire after you come on board where you buy them out? Just about five years. Yeah. yeah. So then, now it's 100% yours, are you strategically saying to yourself, I run this business, I'm sales manager, I'm whatever the other guy was doing. Are you tapped? Are you wearing nine hats as you're trying to raise this family and grow this business? And are you starting to say to yourself, who do I bring in to, to help me grow this thing? No. At that time, no. Why is that? Because there wasn't anyone. Yeah. Just like I said, for most of us, don't waste our time. But everything is done in proportions. If you work, don't work too hard. If you play, don't play too hard. Always have a balance in your life. And I always did that with my involvement, with my outside civic duties in our church and kids and little league. I was always with my kids and doing things. And it's just a balance, and it can be done. Is it that everybody we talk to, Joe, wants to cut right to the punchline? We're, we're in like, it's like 1978. Jim's already given us tenants of his... <laughs> philosophy. We haven't even dug in yet, for God's sakes. I'd like to know what the company was like in the late 70s. I picture it just being the Wild West at that time. You clearly had a background in sales, but did you have a background in owning a company or running a company? Like, How was that all? How are you navigating through all that? It just just comes to me what you do. I've always said a business is comprised of two entities, people and products. And if you don't have inferior people, you're probably not going to have an inferior product. So within the first three months that I was there, there were 70 employees. It was the old type of sheet plant, hand tying and hand stitching and old equipment and everything like that. So I, I said, geez, there's got to be something a little bit more modern than that. And I decided to start investing into equipment. So when I was going to buy the first Flexo, one of my partners at that time before I bought him out was still there. And he said, I don't think we can afford that. What's that going to do? We don't need one of them. And then my production manager said, have you ever seen a Flexo? He says, no. <laughs> so I just went ahead and upgraded. That's how we got where we were. Your first foray, you buy that Flexo? And is it a game changer for the business? And you, is that where you start to get in a little bit of a flavor for equipment? Oh, yeah. Yeah, before that, I bought up. We used to sell a lot of stock boxes back then, and then uh, that was the main thing, and then you'd have to run them. We'd have to tape them, run them through a stitch or tape or glue or hand glue. But I bought this right-angle flexifolder glue it all would only print the box maker cert. <laughs> and that was at a right angle that went down, and I thought that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. That was my first experience into an inline machine. And that was really general. I could see the savings and what that could do for you. You started buying equipment. You bought into the company. How long after that did you have more security where you didn't have to go be a bouncer at a bar down the road? When could you finally feel a little relief? When I sobered up. <laughs> I don't know. I think my one of my biggest accomplishments, I feel, is two years ago, it took me 46 years to get the company debt-free. I think that, yeah. and never laying off anyone in 48 years. No kidding. I think that was just, if I feel good, that's two things that I've done, and I didn't know it would take me that long or if I ever would. I just felt that was an accomplishment. But it just shows that just reinvesting, don't be greedy, don't take it all out and put it in your pockets, 
put it back into the company, put it back into your community, put it back, put it back, and it works. So when you buy your 50% of Central, Mike's 10, and so you start growing the business, you're working. Mike, Mike, at what point do you even think that maybe you want to be involved in the business or was it never a question? You weren't off doing something else. It was always, I'm going to get into the business. Now, when I graduated college and throughout high school, I worked there in the summers. So we just did odd maintenance jobs. We pretty much did the same thing every summer. We did all the painting of the hallways, painting the stairs. We had to go up on the roof, retire the roof and patching and uh, painted the outside of the building. So we did that every year for about six, seven years. And then when I went to college, I was working at a gas station and going to school. And then when I graduated, my dad said, don't think you're coming in here. And I said, don't worry, I don't want to come in there. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. So he said, you're going to go work for someone else and then see how things go. So I got in the scrap metal business, a recycling business. And I was also doing that during college. And that was downtown Minneapolis. So I was in sales and running a scrapyard. So that was about five or six years. And it was fun. I learned a lot, not what to do in business. It's like Sanford and Son. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a little sketchy at times and some of the clientele you had, but it was interesting. But I worked a lot. I worked 60 hours. We worked six days a week and it got to be a lot. And then this opportunity came up to buy this little packaging fulfillment company that my dad had with, I think, three of your key employees. Mm -hmm. And so I came in then in 1991 and purchased that. It was doing $100,000 in sales at the time. But he had it for some of the key employees, just laminating foam to corrugated, setting up inserts and putting them into boxes. And so I bought that for, I think it was like $90,000. I was like, why am I spending that much? They only do I was going to say. Yeah, they only do 100000 in sales. But Sounds like you got taken to the cleaner. Yeah. Seller. <laughs> <laughs> so it took me about three, four years to pay that off. I had two part-time or two temps and... One is still with us today, and that's wow. from 1991, and the other one passed away about 10 years ago, but his wife and his son work at Central now, which is a lot of history having them, because it was like a big family. They all bring their yeah. families in. Just enjoying growing that business as you were just spending time trying, yeah. to, trying to expand it? Yeah, I was doing that. I bought two packaging supply companies. One was the Box Stop about four years later, I bought that from an older gentleman and his wife, and they stayed on for probably six, seven years, and he mentored me, and so the box stop did packaging supplies, so we're like, okay, as long as I'm doing fulfillment, we'll broker boxes, and we're selling packaging supplies, tape, stretch wrap, bubble, you name it, we were selling it. And then two years later, I bought another one, a packaging supply company that was on the brink of going out of business, and so I ended up growing the business in about 10 years from close to about five, five and a half million dollars, and we had 25 wow. employees. So what was nice, I was, learned, I was able to learn how to grow a business, build a business, deal with the city, the state, the attorneys, the bankers. And sure. then in 2001, that's when my dad approached me, I'd like to have you come into Central now. And during those years where you were buying those businesses and growing your own business, did you have in the back of your mind that you wanted to go to work with your dad at some point, or were you just really focused on doing your own thing? At the time, I was focused on doing my own thing, and it was enjoyable. 
and fun to grow it, and it was within my skill set. You get these bigger companies, I'm not like Gene, where I can go run these multi-million dollar companies. I'm good in that five to ten million dollar range, and, and I knew that. But I knew in the back of my mind this might always be an option, and they get into something bigger. So then Central bought me out in 2001, and we merged it into Central. And Jim, from your perspective, what like during that time when Mike was doing his own thing, were you thinking good for him, let him go, or were you planning some sort of time down the road for you guys to get together? I think I was looking ahead, yes. And I thought it'd be seeing that he's in the packaging business and he can come along and he can end up with some money now and then he can be we're in position if we keep it a family-owned business, which we are. So I said it wasn't, I got to do this, I have to do this, this is the way it's going to be. It was an option and it seemed like a pretty good option and to have your son or daughter with you, whatever that is. So I think it just gradually worked its way in there and it thing just seemed to, that's the way we should do it. Mike, you're wor- working your way and growing this supply side, fulfillment side. Are so it's you called PSI. PSI. As you're growing PSI, are you pretty independent? Are you having consultations with your dad from a, from like that ownership perspective as you're navigating some of that or were you just in an opportunity to cut your teeth all on your own? Oh no, I had my dad as an advisor yeah. when we had questions, but he didn't get too involved. He always said, if things were running good, then you're not going to hear from me. But if things weren't running good, then you'd hear from them, just like today. (laughs) (laughs) If I go back a little bit, Jim, you have a kind of a unique upbringing. And I think as we look at Mike's ability to build PSI, what you've done at Central, I think there's an interesting story of how you were raised. And I've gotten bits and pieces over the years. I got to think that it obviously has a big like thumbprint on who you are today, but can you just share a little bit of, of some of your upbringing? And it's, it's intriguing that I, I think when Joe asked, did you ever doubt yourself and you said no, I think there's a pretty clear reason why. So maybe you could just shed a little on that. I don't think what I did was so unusual because you got to look at back in that period. That's the way it was. And there wasn't a lot of money around or anything in businesses like us independents are today. And so you started... But my bringing up, I think, is probably with my age now, there aren't too many people that are can identify with this. When you're brought up on a farm, there were six boys, and we're all born in a two-bedroom house with no electricity, no running water, no indoor facilities. Two of my brothers were died before I was born, so four of us, grew up in this. I was four years old when Pearl Harbor hit. I remember coming home from church, from Sunday school and church with my parents, and my parents are sitting there listening to this co-op radio with a battery to President Franklin Roosevelt describing Hawaii. I remember that. And two of my older brothers were draft age, one and, and one enlisted in the Marines and one in the Navy. And my older brother, who I always admired the most, he was one of that greatest generations. And has really quite a story on that. So we were brought up like that, brought up like that. And then when I was, I didn't even, I remember my dad going up in the barn with a lantern, a flame on a lantern to hang 
up there where you milk the cows. Can you imagine OSHA today? <laughs> There'd be a few cardiac arrests, but that's how we started. We had the lamps and the roof. So I vaguely remember us getting electricity, and I thought it was the greatest thing we could switch the light on and go in a closet, or we could switch the yard light on and see outside at night. Did any of your siblings go on to, to run a business like yourself, or how did things shake out? Yeah, my brother Gordy, the one who won the Navy, did. He was very successful. He had an oil distribution business, and my other brother that was closest to me was a pilot for Northwest Airlines for 34 years and a senior captain, and then my oldest brother, my greatest hero, was worked for the Great Northern Railroad for his career. But we all grew up as the same. We didn't know any different because everyone around you was the same. I was just the other day, I found, I was cleaning out a drawer and I found my checkbook for when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota. My balance was $3.40. <laughs> and we didn't have a mom or dad to call up and say, hey, can you send some money? They didn't have any money. Yeah. So that's all I had to my name. Yeah. But we never felt underprivileged. We had a good life. We always had good food. We were active. We played in the sports. We did everything. No, we were very fortunate. I feel very blessed. So 2001, Mike, you guys come together. What are you going to focus on in the business? You're obviously tapping into your sales ability. Yeah, that's one of my strengths. My strength's yeah. not the day-to-day -day and the spreadsheets and the accounting. It's just more the sales. I worked with the salesmen who all started selling myself. Yeah. And then slowly made my way up to the sales manager. I think probably about 10 years later. Yeah. And then oversaw all the sales. You went through the recession of 01, right? You went through the 2008 challenge. How do you guys approach and manage the business as those things are going on? Did it change your philosophy? You have a guy who's bet on yourself, Jim, and I'm assuming Mike's had that same success with PSI and the scrap metal company. You guys just full steam ahead through that? Well, 2001, when I came in, I said, I got to let my dad worry about it. I yeah. <laughs> my whole philosophy the whole time that I've owned Central since 1975, I always tell my kids and stuff, never make tomorrow's decisions based on today's economies. It means if you're going crazy now like we had for a couple, three years, it's not going to always be that way. I think about eight or nine times during my career, I have always expanded when there's a slowdown or a recession. Why? Because you get the best deals on equipment, you get the best delivery, you get the best service, and it's the least disruptive to your company. Can you imagine bringing in a new machine when you're working six and a half, maybe seven days a week, 24 yeah. hours, what that can do to you? That can yeah. just kill you in your production. So I've always expanded. In fact, we just got a machine going to be installed in two weeks. That's great. So I was teasing you a little bit earlier about jumping to some of your axioms just on how you run your business, how you live your life. But in that, you just touched on one right there on expanding during recessions. What are the things, the tenants that you've maintained? You talked about um, superior people will create a superior product. What are some of the other things that really you kind of live and run your business by that you think have helped you be successful? I think it's your upgrading. Um, 
I remember my things that you learn from your lessons from your parents, your discipline. I, I remember once I was working construction during college, and our foreman would use our cars during the day. And then on Friday, when we'd go home to our parents, he'd said you could fill your gas tank up with the company gas because he'd used our vehicles. That wasn't good enough for me. I had to get a five-gallon can so I'd have gas to come back to the construction site. So a Sunday evening, my dad sees me putting that five gallons of gas into my car, and he says, where'd you get that gas? I could never lie to my parents. I told them. He came and grabbed that can and dumped that gas on the ground and gave me a kick in the rear and threw the can away. He says, don't you ever do that again. You did not have permission to bring that gas, that five-gallon can. So lessons like that. Yeah. What's right and what's not right. It just, it seems, it may seem so small and everything, but that's magnified a hundred times over. Yeah. To set you straight in there, don't ever think, take what's not yours and don't ever think you're better than anyone else. Yeah. Mike, in the sales role through those tough 2008, you're obviously moving up in the organization trying to drive this business. What's that like as you weather through that now as an employee? It wasn't easy, as we all know when we go through all these times, it's a challenge. And like my dad said, when times are so good and you get people to try to go out and get new business, it's hard to tell them. And especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of us learned there, we couldn't take on new business, which really hurt a lot of us people because now that things are starting to slow down a little, there's not a lot in the pipeline. Like you said, it's hard to motivate people, but how can you go out and prospect when we can't even bring the business in? But the prospecting, as we all know, takes six months, a year, some accounts, a year and a half, two years. Yeah. But it's a challenge. Every day is just a different challenge. So. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah. Uh, you guys made a collective decision to go outside the business in terms of leadership. I don't even know how long ago that was. What was the kind of the thought process behind that? And maybe take us back into that. And ha obviously, you're pleased with it. I know Mike Gallagher's still uh, with the business, but what does it allow you two to do with having somebody like that as part of the team? If I can answer the first part, Dad, I think we started in, what, 2012, 13, talking about bringing someone in to run the company. I had an illness in 2013, so we weren't quite sure of the future and what we were going to do with the company. And once things got better, he said, I think if we're going to keep the company, we should bring in a professional to run it. And I said, yeah, I agree. I don't have, like I mentioned earlier, the day-to-day -day skills, and, and I don't want to do that. I want to yeah. just be involved in the sales. And he said, I think we need to, we're starting to grow. We were, what, about $30 million back in 2013, Dad? Yeah, I'd be about right. And so our company is getting pretty big. So yeah. if we're going to continue to grow, we need to bring some people on to really help us grow the company. And my dad, I don't know, at, the, at that point, you were... You were 76 years old, so you had Thanks led the company. For, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you had led the company for many years, and I think you're getting tired. And well, what's interesting, Mike, is just that recognition of where what your strengths are. I think to me that's the important nuance in the discussion is what you're best at that you love to do, and where do you try to fill the voids, as it were, in order to make sure that the business continues to be successful. And half of that recognition is leads to success. And there's a lot of people who just want to step into the role, step into the role. So I commend you on 
on just the reflective, both of you, on just what do you enjoy doing? That's what's going to help us drive a certain aspect of the business. It just helps us grow more. If we want to grow and be part of something bigger, we're looking we should maybe do something along those lines. And But the hardest part was for my dad. When he's been at the reins his whole career and then have to turn and give the keys over to someone else, it's, it was, what, probably a couple-year process, Dad? But we knew or, that would be tough. We talked about yeah. that. I said, thank goodness I've been a good salesman for many years. I had to sell myself, and that was the toughest to do. And it took some time, but we talked about it, and we pretty much predicted what it was going to be. Just little by little, you have to give up. Where It's like the NFL where you used to be irrelevant. Now you're the last player drafted. You're Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> but... It, it does have us told, but I, I, but just pretty much what we predicted is the way it was. But if you're not selfish, if you're selfish, you say to heck with it, you let someone else worry about it. You don't care about the company. You only care about yourself. But when you care about, which most of us entrepreneurs in our, are this way, we care about our employees. We care about our own family. So we're not just worried about us. So we have to sometimes look at what's not just good for us. What's good for the What's good for the company? What's good for everybody? Not always me. Capital I, small U. Yeah. yeah. I know your personality. You're a hard charger. You know every detail. I sat next to you in plenty of AICC budget committees, and you'd lean over and point at a number and say, "This isn't right." And it usually wasn't at the time. And what's your honest assessment of how you were transitioning that first year or two? Okay, he comes in. I think the main thing is you have to realize what we need. Uh, and the criteria, we talked about it. I wanted someone that's from probably this area, from this industry, who is a strong, solid family person, who has an MBA and an accounting degree. Now, the company he worked for was Glenn Taylor, who owns the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he has 80 companies, and Michael was their top producer. So he brings a lot of skills. And I figured that's what I'd like. He fit all five of that criteria. He fit every one of them, and he had been there 20 years, and he was looking maybe for make a change, and our timing was just right. Because when he came, was like 30. We're double that in sales now. Yeah. And, and that was one of my son Mike's strengths, or anyone that can admit a weakness, we all have them. And it takes a strength to admit a weakness. A lot of people don't like to do that. And so Mike always did that. And he says, Dad, I don't want to run this business. Yeah. He says, I don't even think I can. He says, I don't, won't enjoy it. I don't have the skills, as he said previously. So that pretty well gives us to talk and give me to go out and find someone that has those skills. And that's what we did. <laughs> What would you say your weakness is? God, I can't think of <laughs> I got him, Mike. I got him. Everybody has one except for Jim. No. See, I'm kidding. You I'm took teasing it, you, you. You took it the way I meant it. No. <laughs> so, when we get into these cost scenes and all of this, because the dynamics now and all the logarithms and everything, I didn't have that. Yeah. So I would say that was that's obviously the weakness that I was going to refer to. You're a guy who priced out of feel, the relationship, yeah. things like that. Absolutely. It, now there's a lot of data behind it. We asked Michael, how much does it cost us delivery? He says, that company's 8.9 miles, and the last time we were there, it took us 
0.43 minutes, and he's got this all documented down that it's unbelievable what this guy yeah. has done for us. You sound like your weakness sounds like when I ask Morelli and he says he's too good looking. That's oh, his yeah. biggest weakness. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't have before. That's what your weakness sounds like. I don't like have right that there. problem. Yeah, me either. Many others. But no, no so but what he, was funny when we brought Mike in and he comes up with a lot of these things, my dad would look at me, why did we come up with that? I'm like, I don't know. That was pretty good. We knew what rocks to look under. We just yeah. didn't always know how to fix it. What was he sold on when he came to see you guys? What, what made his eyes light up? I asked, asked him when we were, because they tried to buy us a couple, three times. So then I went over and toured his plant, and he was going to take me out. We had some mutual friends, you always do in the industry, and another big company that he worked on. For the company that he worked for, I said, what's Glenn going to do for succession? He says, I don't know. He says, Jim, what are you going to do? I said, I think the family decided to keep it a family business, but I have to look for a number two person. And we're walking out down the hallway out to the shop and he's right on my right shoulder there and he says really i says you might be interested <laughs> that's how it happened that's and then sweet. after we get going a year later he came here but i said why would you leave the company like this where you're their shining star he was their number one producer he says very few people retire from this company because it's so big and he just liked the atmosphere. He knew about us yeah. and the family business and us. And, and he was yeah. traveling a lot and his numbers, yeah. And expectations got raised every year. Yeah. But I think we should add, if Mr. Gallagher didn't take the president position, we had someone that's on this call, that was a possibility. <laughs> but he wouldn't leave Chicago. No, he would, but he wanted to fly in a private jet. We had to fly in private on the weekends to go home. Jim did the fastest math you could possibly imagine. I could hear him mumble, 52 weeks. Yeah, no. That's, that's, that's where he made the same demands to AICC for doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I told Jane? There's a train that leaves over in St. Paul, Great Northern Depot every day to Chicago. No, Michael Gallagher, he brought the skills that we so badly needed. Just because you get bigger doesn't mean you're successful. We all know that. A lot of companies in our industry are happy to be 10, 15, 20 million. They've got their business. They've got a nice living. They own their own business. They can come and go as they want. Just because you get bigger and whatever, it doesn't mean you're better. It all depends on the individuals. We all have different lines. But someone asked me not too long ago, did you ever think you'd get this big? I said, are you kidding me? I, didn't, I was more worried about next week's payroll. Yeah. There wasn't a roadmap. You just... Things just evolve. But the one thing Michael said when he came in, he goes, because he was in charge of acquisitions, he goes, and he had done many of them over the 20-year period. He goes, I've never come in a company that's successful. So we were doing a lot of good things, but we were starting to grow, and how are we going to grow and be able to maximize that and get better? But he goes, yeah, he goes, I... Because I walked into a real easy one here. He's just been fine-tuning us. Was there reluctance from the employees, from your supporting groups that believed in you guys for so many years that somebody else was coming in? Or did they buy in right away? I don't know if there was reluctance. I think it was they were scared and everyone had theories. Well, they're just bringing them in here for a year or two and then Taylor Corp's going to buy them out. And so I think when you have change, as we all know, that there's always a little suspicion. Per se. We squelch that. 
because some a lot of the people, old timers, had asked me about it. I said, okay, you've had confidence in our family for all the years you've worked here. So why don't you have confidence now that the decision that we're making about bringing someone in is the best thing for the company? And that seemed to calm the waters. Sure. Yeah, we yeah. had a meeting on it for people. Yeah. And the other thing was I was sick and then I was yeah. on the med, but also now we have someone new come in. Mike, what's your interaction like with Mike? Well, Michael and I actually complement each other very well. And, and actually, my Michael says the three of us work well together. I used to be the referee between my dad and Michael, <laughs> even though I had the title of CEO, and it really wasn't, but I had the title. <laughs> well, well, but no, well, Michael and I, we, yeah. <laughs> but Michael and I get along good. I'm more the outgoing one. He's a little more reserved. He's reeled me in a little, and I've got him to expand a little. He's very conservative, but now I'm getting him to spend some money from time to time, and he's got me to start to not spend as much. So That's great. That's uh, we great. actually work pretty well together. What about between the two of you guys? Family business can be very challenging, and it can oftentimes pull apart families. And there have been moments of conflict between the two of you, and clearly you came out for it better on the other side if so. So were there moments where you were thinking maybe working together isn't the greatest time? No, as long as I listen and say yes, we're good. So, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Gene should know that. Yeah, I do, actually. That's the philosophy. That <laughs> yeah. I, I think when you talk about it, we talk about these things. Because a lot of it is just from going around with the AICC all the years. And that's been my biggest advantage because my set of issues or problems aren't any more unique than what you may have. But just common sense. You just use your God-given brain. Yeah, there's going to be some of this, so we have to work at it. We have to talk about it so we don't have these conflicts. And there's things we do. They've been so minuscule, it's hardly worth even putting a note to it. So, so Mike Gallagher is what, close to 10 years now, maybe? Yeah, almost about 10 years. So have you, have you started to slow down at all? Are you trying to not come in the office as much? Has that been rewarding for you? I know you're a guy that really, you like to be in the mix. I told the two Mikes, Mike Hagelin and Gallagher they're referring to, is that I'm ready to walk anytime. I, like I was even telling Mike today, I says, you were sitting there waiting for this to get going, you know, and my age and some things were happening. And I says, it's not easy getting older either, because to be truthful, you don't know where you belong. You know, belong with the young kids you feel out of place. So where do you belong? And so I didn't want to be a handicap here for the company. And that's, again, when you're not selfish. I, even though I enjoy it, I would remove myself gladly with no animosities. But both Mikes said no. Mike would say, Dad, and he, Michael Gallagher says, no, absolutely not. We want you here. I'm still learning from you every day. That's which great. I which I don't think is true, but that's what I, it is. I, I think it's true. I think early in my career in banking, they used to really pride themselves on storytelling. It was a big deal to the deals that didn't go so well, the deals that really went well, the commonalities in opportunities with clients. It's the same in our business, right? There's a value to that tribal knowledge that all just can't be taught in process and procedure that kind of creates another dimension to the story. So I can understand that. And there's a whole other dimension. It's the employees. They love seeing my dad. Yeah. He does his walk when he's here three, four days a week. Twice a day, he goes out in the plant. 
and he goes and talks to all the different machine operators, the feeders, the catchers, the ink room people, the baler guy, the painters back in our setup. And whenever I'm out there, oh, your dad stopped by today, your dad stopped by today. I'm like, oh, okay, hoo-hoo, big deal. But they love seeing him, and he asks them, what's working, what's not working, what can we change? And yeah. he truly cares. That's and so I think the employees, yeah, they like seeing that my dad's still around, seeing that I'm still around, and we have my children, Austin, is here, and he started working here back in the college days. So I think they feel comfortable with that, and they can go talk to any of us. They talk to us anytime. How do you manage that dynamic of somebody that maybe wants to come to you with something first before going to Mike Gallagher? How do you manage that dynamic of you as owners, uh, him as founder, against kind of give Mike the bandwidth to be the decision maker of the business? You suck it up. What do you mean by that? Because to begin with, it's difficult. Yeah. I will admit that. Like I said, to me, to sell me was the hardest thing. And it's, exa- it's I don't want to say I'm that smart, but it just kind of exactly what we thought might work. And it did come out that way that you have to give up more and it's going to have an impact on me. But again, we go back, you're not selfish. So we talked about this is probably what's going to happen. So when it did happen, you said, oh my golly, you didn't throw your hands up in the air and say, what do I do now? We were somewhat prepared for it. So I think most of it is we saw some of this, but the feelings that you go through as an entrepreneur, it is tough. But when you're so convinced that it's the right thing to do, and you have a son like I have with Mike, what he's done here, and you bring in someone that's just a class act like Michael, how can you not be happy? How can you not be pleased with the results? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to parse out, like uh, you're walking past the conference room and, and the sales manager says, hey, I want to hire this new guy, and Mike Gallagher's really down on How do you sit on that? Like, how do you navigate those scenarios as owner and founder against trying to empower this gentleman to run the business and not taking steam away to where that all, everybody knows, just we'll just run around Mike and go to gym. How do you manage those dynamics in the business? So not long after Michael was here, I wanted to buy this new piece of equipment. Of course, Michael comes from the finances. He watches everything. I don't think there's a PC. He has a CPA degree in his MB, but and he doesn't like to spend money. It's just as he just admits it. He's a, it's a joke too. I said, God, I as owner of the company, I got to go and ask him, can I spend <laughs> this? But he's True. doing what we hired him for. That's you know, right. So I was going to buy the machine, and he and we had 10, 12 people in the meeting room and discussing this. And Michael didn't think we should buy it. I knew that we should, but I shut up. And Mike Hagelin and I are talking after. He says, Dad, I thought you were going to buy this. I says, Michael, we bring this guy in to help to run our company. In the first six months that he's here, I overrule him in front of 10 or 12 of the employees. How is anyone ever going to believe that we're transitioning this power? And I think that was a key point in making this successful. That's special. That's a true story. It was. And I said, I think it could cost us maybe some hundred or $200,000 more when we're going to buy it a year or two from now, which in fact it did. (laughs) But that time I could not do that. 
because that would usurp his authority. And it's probably one of the smartest decisions that we've made. Wow. That's amazing. If you look back, Jim, you mentioned your older brother. Who else has been like a, an influential person in your life? Somebody maybe in your career that really has helped you become who you've become and central to, to what you guys have become in the business? My, my one brother, the one who went in the Navy, not the Marine, he, w- he was my mentor. Before I got into this, I was in a tire recapping business when I left my old packaging company during the interim before I bought half a central. And uh, he was an entrepreneur. So I learned a lot from him. And then I had a boss at another company that I learned a lot from him who write things to do, but I also learned things from that he would do that I didn't think were right. We always talk about, I want to learn the right thing to do, but I want to learn also what's not the right thing to do. And so I think I've had two or three mentors like that. Mike, what about yourself? So of course my father has been a big part, but then one of our salesmen, he's still here. He's been here 53 years. <laughs> yeah. And so when I came on, he took me under his wing and taught me basic sales 101. You know, what to do back in the day. This is not as prevalent today, but people still buy from people they like. But go to the funerals, send birthday cards, remember anniversaries, bring donuts in. Just don't bring enough for the office, Mike. Bring it for the back. So when there's a problem, they all remember, oh, Mike from Central brought those donuts in. We'll work through these boxes. He goes, Make your presence known. Hand out pencils, pads, all stuff to the guys in the back as you're walking around. And so Jerry had a big part of my sales 101. That's pretty neat. What? Do, how do you guys look at maybe like the next five to ten years in this industry? What do you see coming down the road? What do you, What are the opportunities or maybe the threats that you know are front of mind for you all? I'll answer first. I think as you're seeing all over, there's a lot of consolidation and that just continues with the bigger companies buying out the people like us. I think what helps us is that we're very diversified. Brown box is a part of our business, but it's not a huge part like it used to be. We do so much specialty and we're so heavy in the medical. We're Close to 35 or 40% of our business is medical now. We're shipping, my dad, I think, has a stat. It's about 8 or 9% of it goes out of the country. So that's really helped us get around is to be so diversified and not just relying on the brown. One thing that really helped was when we bought Fisher Paper Box, the set-up box company, which yeah. there aren't any of those around anymore. But what it did, it got us into the chipboard in a specialty area was set up, but because we were there, and then with Michael coming in with his background in the folding carton and printing business, we've got two Boff's die cutters and a gluer, and all they do is run these medical boxes that if we had not bought Fisher, we wouldn't be with all this medical like we are today. Remember, in order to get somewhere, you have to be somewhere first. That's great. Just like Mike said, we, almost 9% of our business ships out of the United States and 29% ships out of the state of Minnesota. Mm. And these are big boxes with urethane foams and they'll beat you down on the price of the box and then they'll airship something over to Malaysia <laughs> or Ireland yeah. or something like that. But it takes a long time to get qualified. And I think 
It, and these things don't just snap your fingers and you're doing what you are. It's a long trail that my philosophy has always been, when those customers pull into that parking lot, they don't see a weed. They don't see a ceiling tile with water stain on it or a year old magazines in the, where their magazines used to be at the desk. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's the image they get. Then there's flags from 23 countries that are in the packaging industry that when we moved up here in 91, that came to visit this plant because the old box plants before were in an old part of town like ours, multi-story. Why can't someone have a nice facility? So our timing and our luck was great because that's just when the graphics came in. People wanted to walk into a clean company, a clean parking lot. And then when we got into medical, you can imagine what they want. We'd hear many times walking up the stairs after they had a tour, they'd say, look how clean this is. I wish we could get a job here. So that it's a process. You don't yeah. just snap your fingers. We all know yeah. that. And I think that process has been our philosophy all from day one. It just spreads out. The cloud gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. What's helping us with the medical now, we deal with all the big medical companies while they're acquiring smaller yeah. medical companies, then they say, you need to buy this from these people after they yeah. get established. So we're actually benefiting some from that. If you ever need a colonoscopy, I can get you a reduced price on a home administered <laughs> box. I'll stick to my doctor. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jim. That's the, most interesting offer. That's the most interesting offer you've made me in almost 30 years. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. You can just use my name. <laughs> what is what's the future look like for you guys in the coming years? You mentioned your explosive growth over, since Michael's come on, and I think I heard you say, Mike, that your son is involved in the business now. What are we looking forward to in the years to come? I think just with what we've been doing over the years, just steady growth and just maintaining it, hopefully the way we've been doing it. But you just don't know, things can change, or we hit another recession. But we feel we're in a pretty good position because medical – is not gonna go away. Just like if you're doing the serving the food industry, the food's not gonna go away. So hopefully, if things do slow down, we're not gonna be hit that hard. So we should be in a good place. I know our medical, we're up to 40%. I think it's gonna get 50 or 60. Our brown is about 35, 40%. Yeah. I, there's always gonna be a need for that because when business is good, all the big integrateds, then they don't wanna run anything small quantities. So we get it all. <laughs> This has been going yeah. on for 48 years. I said, don't do any forecasting based on it, that business right now because it's not always going to be there. We know it slows up, and then they pull everything back in-house. So that's why about 30 40% of our business is a bit of a variable, but the other is not. I think that's what protects us. Yeah, that's great. This is not my question. This is another podcaster, but if you're coming down the mountain and some young kids just graduated right out of college or headed up. What sort of advice would you give them right now? We'll start with you, Jim. What sort of words of advice or encouragement can you give them as they start off on their career or they start off in a world of being an entrepreneur? Jeez, it changes from generation to generation, but the basics are the same. Like we just said earlier, people deal with people they like and they want security and they want to be needed and they want to be wanted just to come in and be truthful. Do your job, try to advance, try to learn, acquire this knowledge, take some night courses so you can expand 
years. You're going to, there's always a need for that. Okay, Mike, you? <clears throat> I think I have four kids right now in their 20s. I've told my kids you need to find your lane, whatever that yes. lane may be. And once you find your lane, then you'll just continue to work it from there. You need to network, be nice to people, be true to people. And my kids are pretty good people. Oh, great. And I says, and it'll take care of itself. You put yourself there, you always used to say, people say you're lucky. Yeah, we did catch a break, but we were in position to be able to take advantage of that break. Yeah. Like you get a lot of people, oh God, you bought your cabin at the right price. That's because oh. I was able to be able to do it then. You need to have yourself in that place, in that position. Chance favors the prepared mind. Like everybody yeah. likes to look, to, hindsight's truly twenty twenty. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. Just, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I am. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but you know there's been a ton of work done. Let me show you a copy of my checkbook when I was a freshman in college. $3.20. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big spenda. Oh, God. <laughs> That's when I, back when beers were a nickel, though, so you were yeah. loaded. Yeah. I have to say your story is very inspiring. It's it, You're very humble to talk about it, <laughs> and it's in... It's just an incredible journey it seems like you've been on, and I just want to congratulate you for growing this business to what it has become from literally nothing almost. So, Jim, that's a credit to who you are, and like I said, Gene's been talking about you to me for years, and everything he said is 100% true. Congratulate you on your success. Thank you very much. With you and Gene sitting there, it's like watching a Saturday Night Live. It's going to be a good program. Breaking down boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.